Well, it's been several weeks uh, since I've uh, preached here. Um, this past, uh, throughout the month of July, we had uh, a series where we just had different guest speakers and different people coming in to speak. I uh, hope, hope you were there for that. It was really challenging and encouraging. Uh, this morning, I almost felt like we were continuing that uh, summer playlist series as Nate was talking about generosity. I was sitting there listening to, a, to the message and sitting back like, wow, this is really compelling. Uh, one of these days, we'll have to get Nate up here to, to give like a full sermon, right? Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Right? Where is he here? Nate, 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 Nate. <laughs> we are uh, starting a new series called Be the Church. And we're going to look at different aspects of what it means to, to be the church. Uh, today, let me just start off with uh, this uh, opening scene of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. Many of you have seen the movie or read the book, where Bilbo Baggins is sitting on a bench in front of his little hobbit hole, smoking a pipe and enjoying a good morning. When an unexpected visitor, Gandalf, the wizard, drops by for an invitation. And Gandalf looks at Bilbo and says, I'm looking for someone to share in an adventure. Where Bilbo responds, well, an adventure? Now, I don't imagine anybody around here would have much interest in that, right? Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things make you late for dinner. I can't think what anybody sees in them. After some more brief conversation, Gandalf has it resolved. He says, Great, you know, I'll be, it will be very good for you. Very well, then I will inform the others. Where Bilbo says, wait, wait, no, 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 no. We do not want any adventures here. Thank you very much. Not today. I suggest you go over the hill or, or across the water. Good morning. And then he runs to, to his little hobbit hole and slams the door. I think those words of Bilbo could very well be a reflection of, the, uh, of American Christianity in the 21st century. This is what I mean. Like, like, uh, like many of us, uh, we want a, a, a faith that is safe. We want a church life that is comfortable and secure. For many of us, we don't really want any adventures. Thank you very much. Right? And don't get me wrong, we love adventures like the thrill-seeking kind, Right? But many of us prefer the, the comfort and safety of our own little hobbit holes when it comes to our faith and when it comes to our life together as a church. But I have found something really peculiar happens whenever I kind of take my faith and bundle it up all secure and comfy in my little hobbit hole for too long. And maybe you have found this to be true uh, of your experience as well too. Whenever I do that my relationship with God begins to grow stale and crusty. And I start getting bored with the Bible and prayer or church. Right? Because here's what I've realized. Right? If I get bored with the Bible, it's usually because uh, I'm not really living into it, into what it says. If I get bored with prayer, it, it often means that there's nothing really meaningful that I'm praying for. If I get bored with church, which wouldn't be good because I'm on the pastor's here, I hope I don't get bored with church, right? But if I, if I get bored with church, it's usually because I've turned into nothing but a critical spectator. And if I stay in my little hobbit hole for too long, do you know what happens to me? I die of spiritual boredom, right? 
does that ever happen to any of you? Die of spiritual boredom? Not a rhetorical question, all three of you. Thank you. The rest of you are so excited to be here, to look into God's word. That's awesome, right? Sure it does. And that happens to everyone because we were meant to, just for so much more. We were created for a mission that goes beyond ourselves and we have a calling that demands that we give of everything that we have and all that we are to a cause that is greater than just my own comfort and my own safety. In other words, and I think this is representative of all of us here, right? We just want enough of God to be comfortable, but not enough of God to pay the price of going on an adventure, right? Just give me a little bit of God, just enough so I know I'm going to heaven, but not so much where I have to be really generous or sacrifice or do anything like that. I don't have to go to Bangladesh or anything like that, right? We just want to be comfortable. Well, in this series, we're going to talk about what it means to be the church, and it really begins with us as disciples. And we're going to look at a story where Jesus approaches a group of men, his first disciples, and he says to them, in effect, I'm looking for someone to share in an adventure, Someone who will trade up their comfortable, predictable lives for an adventure of a lifetime. Jesus invades a routine, hobbit existence and invites them to be a part of something more compelling, more noble, and more eternal. So we're going to read that story where Jesus approaches uh, uh, Peter, uh, James, John, and Andrew. Uh, the words will be up on the screen if you would uh, just stand together as we uh, read the word of God together. Follow along as I read the words up on the screen. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Here ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. So it's interesting, when Jesus invites his first disciples to follow him, he makes his agenda for them very clear right up front. And he says this, I want you to follow me. In other words, I want you to share in this adventure with me. And when you follow me, you can be sure that I will make you into something that you are not already, right? And we may expect, uh, if you were to complete the sentence, if I follow Jesus, he will make, I think there's a lot of things that we could fill in that blank that we would like to see, right? For example, it'd be great if Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you more successful, I mean, that would be awesome, right? Or, come follow me and I'll make you more disciplined. I'll make you a better person. I'll make you more spiritual. I'll make you fabulously wealthy and wise beyond your years. I will make you holier. I'll make you happier. I'll make you healthier. But he doesn't say any of those things. Rather, when he calls his first disciples, he says, look, right up front, come, follow me. I know you have no idea what you're getting yourself into, but I'm going to make you into something else. I'm going to make you into something that you are not already. And he says, come follow me and I will make you a better person. I will make you 
a better father, a better spouse. No, he says a strange phrase. Remember, these are fishermen, so he kind of speaks their language, and he says, I will make you fishers of men. Now, what in the world does that mean? Right, if you've been in church long enough, you're like, okay, yeah, I kind of know what that means. Well, I, I don't really know what that means. Uh, that sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? Fishers of men. Uh, in, in Luke, Jesus says uh, something very similar. He says, from now on, you will fish for people. Right? And if you think about that, that's even a little strange too, right? Again, in our context, fish for people, kind of like what? Throw bait out there, reel them in, cut them up, clean their insides, and throw them into a bucket of ice. Like, what does that mean to fish for people? Well, uh, personally, I don't think these disciples had a clue about what Jesus meant. They were like, yes, you know, kind of like Bilbo, if you've seen the movie, he's running off. He's like, I'm going on an adventure, right? And they're just going, diving headlong and probably forgot about the fishers of men. Uh, but the amazing thing is that by the end of the New Testament, these men become just that. They had learned uh, by learning from Jesus how to fish for people. In other words, they became people who took the message of Jesus and shared it within their own spheres of influence, which are all very different, using their own unique very, uh, uh, personalities, which are all very different, and God used these first disciples to change the course of human history. So much so that if these men did not become fishers of, uh, uh, fishers of people, fishers of men, right, uh, we would not be here 2,000 years later, halfway across the world. You, the only reason why we are sitting where we are today is because these first century disciples understood that to follow Jesus means that he's going to turn you into something you are not already, and that is a fisher of people. Now, we're going to see that Jesus' agenda for his first disciples is the very same agenda that he has for you and for me. In other words, when you become a Christian, when you follow Jesus, the goal isn't just to become a better person. That is not God's goal for your life, although that does happen, right? His goal for you is that you follow him and, then that, and that you would do in the lives of others, other people what somebody has done in your life, which is introduce you to a life-changing relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ, and that's what Jesus refers to when he says, you will now fish for people. Fishing. How many of you have ever gone fishing? How many of you actually like fishing? How many of you can't stand the idea of fishing? Thank you, a few people, right? Confession, I can't stand fishing. Uh, the last time I went fishing, I was barely a teenager. I had gone a few times before. My dad thought it was a good idea, along with playing golf, to teach me how to fish. So uh, he bought me a brand new fishing pole. And, and this was the first time I used this pole, and we went out to this big lake, and, and we got the, the, the right bait and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we're sitting there and uh, waiting for the fish, and I'm with my new pole, and again, th this is part of the reason why I hate fishing. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting there, and nothing is happening. I'm getting bored. I'm like, what is the point of all this, right? I don't get why this is so enjoyable. You just sit here and like do nothing. I got so bored after like five minutes, 
I, I propped my fishing pole against a rock because I, I just wanted to do something more interesting. So I go walking off and do something, and, and while I'm walking back, figuring, okay, I better go back to the pole and see what's up, all of a sudden, I see my pole take a dive right into the lake, right? A fish had taken the bait and stolen my pole, my brand new fishing pole, right? Fishing takes a lot of patience. It requires certain skills. Uh, fish, I mean, if you, if you gut them, clean their insides, they're stinky, bloody, smelly. I mean, I can't just stand the whole thing. And you know what I really don't get? People who fish, they catch like a huge fish, and then after all that patience, after all that working, after all that time and waiting, they throw the fish back. I'm like, what in the world? Like, you have nothing to show for all that time. Like, like there's, no, there's nothing about fishing that I enjoy. Some of you may be thinking, fish for people? Uh, are you talking about evangelism? <laughs> Uh, and, and you may be thinking, man, you know, I feel like that the way you do about uh, fishing, right? It feels so awkward, and it seems so rude and offensive to, to push your beliefs on other people. Besides, I, I hate those Christians who leave, like, gospel tracts uh, for their waiter instead of giving them a generous tip, right? It's just so, oh, off-putting. And, and those crazy people who yell at other people as they're walking along the street, condemning them to hell. And I mean, there's no way I want to be associated with those kinds of people. And I want to say, yeah, you know, me neither, right? This, this isn't about a methodology. This is about a process. This is about people. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you're thinking, man, that's exactly why I don't like Christians. Like on one hand, I understand that. You also have to understand that the reason why that we are so bold is because really uh, we are so thankful that somebody took the risk to share with us the good news of Jesus Christ and that has literally changed our lives. And so for us, this call to be fishers of people, let's face it, right? It's really intimidating. And depending on your background or your previous experience, maybe with certain kinds of Christians and I mean, let's be honest, we've all had those experiences with like where you've been confronted with what I'll call like those scary Christians, right? You've had that experience? Yeah? No? You've met some serious scary Christians and you're like, man, after you meet those kinds of Christians, like bullhorn Christians, you're like, man, you conclude this is not the kind of adventure that I want to sign up for. To be fishers of men, I don't know about that, right? Follow Jesus, yes. Fisher people, no. I would rather just stay in my little hobbit hole all comfy and safe and secure. And some of you may be feeling like I saw, I found this meme on, on, on Facebook, right? You are going on this adventure and you are going to enjoy it. That's how we sometimes feel about evangelism, right? Like, no, this is not an adventure I want to go on. Well, let me just reframe this a little bit, right? And demystify kind of this whole evangelism and make it less intimidating. Because really when it's broken down, it's a lot more compelling than, than, than uh, some of our experiences have been. You know, you may think, yeah, that, you know, evangelism, all that kind of stuff, fishing for people, nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things. That's the last thing I want to do. I mean, besides, I'd rather just pray for my own career or pray for my own marriage or pray for my own kids. It's not like I have enough problems in my own life. Like, now you want me to go fish for people? Well, consider this. Consider all the things that you pray about and pray for, right? You know, maybe you pray for your marriage, maybe you pray for your kids or your career, 
if we're honest with ourselves, everything that we pray for is really focused on this life alone, right? You, you may pray for your marriage. God, uh, help me to be a better husband. Our marriage is on the rocks. It needs some healing. Uh, and, but here's the thing. One day, your marriage is going to come to an end. When one of you dies, that's it. Or maybe you pray for your kids. Oh, God, you know, as so-and-so goes off uh, with a youth group or, or doing this, uh, p- please protect them. And these are good things to pray for. Don't get me wrong. But one day, that relationship with your kid or kids uh, is going to change, and uh, that's going to come to an end. We may pray for a job or even a new job. God, please get me this new job. Or God, please find me a new spouse or, or uh, whatever else. God, you know, we're, we're struggling financially. And we pray for all these things. Get this, your job, your finances, your, your career, all one day will come to an end. And the things that you have so much passion about, the things that you uh, pray so hard about, is only important in the context of this life alone. And none of those things have any real eternal value on its own merit. Now, don't get me wrong, God is concerned about all those things, Right? But here's the promise that God makes. I will take all of those temporary fleeting things that you're concerned about and I will use them and leverage them uh, to, and uh, I, I will give it eternal value to, in your life and in the life of somebody else. And I will shape everything in such a way that you are strategically and uniquely positioned to make an eter- eternal difference in somebody else's life because of who you are your personality, your background, your life experience is very unique to you. And because of where you are, where you work, where you live, where you play, I will take all of those things and I will use it. I will position you. You are uniquely positioned to be the primary person God uses to make an eternal difference in somebody else's life. And that means God is not only going to use your successes, more so God will use your failures. God will not only use your, uh, your joys, but he will use your sorrows. That means God will use your job. God will use your marriage. God will use your divorce. God will use your singleness. God will use your children. God will use your infertility. God will use your depression. God will use your anxiety. God will use, he will somehow sovereignly take all of those things and use it and give it some eternal value and purpose not only in your life to form and shape you, but to make a difference in somebody else's life if you will follow him and allow him to make you a fisher of people. Now, you may think, well, okay, you know, I I get that, but, uh, you know, isn't that why you're uh, you're the pastor, right? Because, I mean, that's your job. Isn't that what you do? I think that, that, that's, uh, you, you'd be great at that song. You, you know, you do so well telling people about Jesus. And, and I kind of hear that, and people say that or think that. Uh, people have said that to me, and I think, no, 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 actually, no, you would actually be better uh, uh, because, because I'm a pastor. And they'll often say, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's why you're better, because uh, you know the Bible, you went to seminary, and, and, and I mean, that's what you do. That's why you, uh, going out there doing ministry, fishing for people, uh, that's why you're so good at it. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't get it, right? Uh, I don't really have an advantage because, uh, be- exactly because I'm a pastor. In fact, when I talk to people, uh, they expect me to talk about Jesus, and not only that, but um, when I talk to people, and what's one of the most common questions that strangers uh, ask when, when you first meet them? What do you do for a living? 
right? My, my answer is always an immediate conversation stopper, right? I'm a pastor. Um, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll say this, a little secret. It's not very loving, but uh, it's okay. If, if, if you ever fly in a plane and you don't want the person next to you to talk to you, all you have to do is carry out that big King James family Bible, and you can be sure they will leave you alone. The only exception that I found, and this has happened to me, is if you are flying either to or from Texas, right? <laughs> then the person will not stop talking to you. And then my answer is not a conversation. Oh, you're a pastor. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah, brother. I'm like, oh, please, geez, okay, right? Look, I am not, I am at a disadvantage when, when, when talking about Jesus, right? You actually have the advantage over me. And I think, here's the thing, one of the hardest things for you to see is your potential that you have for God to use you to make a difference in somebody else's life, to make a difference in their eternal destiny, right? Let me just, let's say it this way. I want you to repeat this and let this truth sink into your own mind and heart, okay? Let's recite this together. One of the hardest things for me to see is the potential I have to be used by God to make an eternal difference in someone else's life. Yeah, that's you. Not me, not somebody else, right? And we always think God should use somebody else. I remember uh, when Amy and I were first dating and we were still getting to know each other, we'd tell each other kind of our, how we became a Christian and all that. And I remember we had this conversation Man, son, you know, no wonder why you want to be pastor. Like God has just, when God took, grabbed a hold of you, I mean, you just did some really terrible things, and now, man, your life is transformed, and you just have this great and awesome story. It's kind of like, you know, your, your life before Jesus was rated R. Uh, my life is like rated G, <laughs> Right? Uh, my story, on the other hand, is pretty boring. I grew up in church all my life. I mean, I know you did, but I didn't really do anything bad. And, and gosh, you know, I don't have like an amazing transformational story like you do. So that's why I think you would do a great job telling other people about Jesus. If you're somebody who has one of those pasts and has one of those stories, you may have thought, uh, what, are you kidding me? Yeah, you know, my life is so messed up, right? My past is rated R. You know, m- m- maybe it's rated X. Right? I, I don't know how God is going to use me. Look at you. You've never done anything wrong. You've gone to church all your life. You know so much. You're the one that has the advantage. Do you see how it's so easy to think that somebody else has the advantage, and it's so hard to see the potential that we have, that, that, that we have that God wants to use us to make a difference in somebody's life. And so we have all these excuses. I'm too young. I'm too old. Here's one that I hear sometimes. It's not my spiritual gift. Or... Here's one that I hear even more. I'm an introvert. As if, right, evangelism, you know, we have this notion that evangelists are like salespeople. I'm an introvert. I don't talk. You know what? You make the best evangelist because you're so good at listening, right? Or another one that I often hear is like, I don't know enough. Like, what if they ask me a question that I can't answer, and I can't speak very well. That's why, that's why you should do it, son, because you talk about Jesus every Sunday. Right? It is almost impossible for each of us to look at our own lives and to see the potential God has to use us to make a difference in somebody else's life. And this is why Jesus says, I will make you. 
right? Who's gonna, who's gonna do the work? God is gonna make you. It's not gonna be through discipline. It's not gonna be sheer willpower. It's gonna be God by God's grace that he will make you into a fisher of people. And here's this, it, it, it's not gonna happen overnight. It will take time. It took years and years and years for the disciples. They screwed up. They fell flat on their face. It will take time. God will craft you and mold you and refine you so that you will become a fisher of people. He will make you into something that you are not already. And he says, from now on, you will fish for people. Because why? You alone are strategically, uniquely positioned in somebody's life to make a difference where nobody else can. In fact, I would say this. There's somebody in your life who will listen to you who will not listen to me. They'll listen to your story, but they, will, you, they, they won't come to church, and they certainly, is, you know, they won't listen to a preacher, but they will listen to you. And here's the other thing that sometimes we think about evangelism, right? We have this notion that, oh, man, to be a fisher of people, that means, like, I got to tell somebody about Jesus, and then I have to, again, using sales language, I have to close the deal, right? Don't we think that? Like, oh, I didn't close the deal. Look, you may be just at one chain in that whole link of that, that God uses different people to bring into, into their life. When I think of somebody like that, I think of one of my youth leaders when I was, when I was in junior high. Again, a pastor's kid, grew up in church all my life, had heard the message a thousand times, right? But there was something about Chip, who was my youth leader, uh, he was my Sunday school teacher, and the thing that I loved about Chip and his wife, Sue, they didn't have any kids, so they would take our entire class, and we'd hang out on the weekends. Like, I'll tell you what, I don't remember one Sunday school lesson he ever taught me. Not one. But I do remember, I remember his smile. I remember his balding red hair. <laughs> I just remember him, and as important as the message is, right, it's not like sometimes we think, like, if I don't get the message right, I'm going to screw everything up. It's not just the message. The message is important, but it's also you. And it's not just you, but it depends on the specific situation that that person's in. God somehow brings all those things together. Like God, like God used Chip and Sue in my own life. Now, did, like, I'll say this. They weren't the ones that closed the deal, if I could use that language, with me. I became a Christian like five years later but they played such a, uh, an important role in my spiritual journey. So this morning, our Lord and Savior comes to us, invites us to share in this adventure, to join him on a mission of eternal significance, to share in this adventure. And so our response will be one or the other. We will either respond like Bilbo first responded, adventure, I can't imagine anyone around here wanting that kind of thing, nasty, disturbing things. I'd rather just, just, just leave me alone. Let me go to church and, and do my thing and, you know, have enough of God to be comfortable. Why don't you go call somebody else who's sitting in the front row of the church because they're the ones that are really committed. Or we could follow the example of the disciples when Jesus came and said, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And this is what it says. Immediately, they left their nets. In other words, they left their comfort zones, they, they left their excuses, they left their little hobbit holes, and they followed him. And they said, look, for us, this, this is what it means. This week, and not just this week, but again, let's, let's take that first step. That means, look, God, I want to be on the lookout for those divinely appointed opportunities 
uh, of people. And my calling isn't to, to convert or, or convert like a whole city or my whole department. It's not that, right? That's really overwhelming. You are not called to, to be fishers of the masses. All you are called to do is that one person, that one person in your neighborhood, the one person in the office, maybe the barista that you see every single morning, or the same childcare worker that you chat with after you pick up your kids after work. Who's that one person where God is calling you to become a fisher of people? Because again, I'll remind you again, you, whether you know it or not, you are perfectly positioned by God to be the person to make an eternal difference in that person's life. And you can do something that neither I nor the staff cannot do. That's our challenge. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray together. And so Jesus, we are so thankful that you have given us eternal life to be with you for all eternity because of your son, Jesus Christ, who took our place on the cross and who gave us eternal life. And so Father, today, we want to celebrate that fact. We rejoice in your grace. And so God, as, you, as we desire to follow you today, would you continue to, to call us to be fishers of people in this world? Would you call us out of our comfortable hobbit holes? Would you call us to be the people of God, to be the church in this world today? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.